dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Hello and welcome to a usual episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. I have an interview today. Somebody who has their fingers on the pulse of what is going on in Hollywood. Hollywood's on strike, and so is other places, New York, Georgia, other big film and TV places. And we will talk to my guest next and find out what his views are on what's going on here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In a world that's racing a mile a minute, a split-second distraction can change everything. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw Bryant. Every day we see too many people, heads buried in their phones, unaware of the dangers they're in. Texting and driving isn't just reckless, it's playing Russian roulette with your life and the lives of others. In just four seconds of distraction, you've driven the length of a football field. Is there any text message that's worth your life, that's worth the lives of others? I've been fighting for the rights of the injured for over 30 years. But I'd rather you never meet me in a courtroom. So hear me now. Stop texting and driving. Pay attention. Value your lives and the lives around you. And if you won't, know this. At Bradshaw and Bryant, we're relentless. We won't back down. We bring justice to those that need it. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. With my Bryant on your side, seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier, I would be talking to someone who has his fingers on the pulse of what's going on in Hollywood and filmmaking. Last time I interviewed him, I referred to him as the king of movies. Uh, We won't go that far today, but I'd like to welcome back to the program Van Hayden. How you doing, Van? Good, John. Good to be back with you. So, uh, since we last talked, which you were my first ever interview, um, what's been going on with you? Like any new uh, projects? Any projects that may people may have caught caught their eyes, or uh, anything else you want to talk about? And also, you hold a new position in the state of Minnesota, so we'll talk about that also. Okay. 
Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, most recently, uh, I, I just finished up in early June. We, uh, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, working on the movie version of August Wilson's play, uh, The Piano Lesson. And that was uh, produced by Denzel Washington. His youngest son, Malcolm Washington, directed the film version of the play. And uh, his other son, John David Washington, who was the star of Black Klansman, the Spike Lee movie, uh, he was uh, the co-lead actor along with uh, Sam, Sam, Samuel L. Jackson. Both, of the, both Samuel L. Jackson and John David Washington played the their same characters uh, when they put the uh, play up on Broadway uh last year so uh you know and this was the film version of that and one other washington katia washington served as one of our executive producers so it was really a washington family kind of affair so so how did uh um, denzel get his hands on this project well you know it's interesting uh, uh at one of our meetings early in the in the process before we started filming, uh, Denzel was present, and uh, he he explained that uh, uh, the family of August Wilson uh, approached him and uh, and wanted to make sure that he would do right by the family and do right by the memory and the legacy of August Wilson to uh, to produce these films. Uh, the film versions of the plays that August had written uh, even after August was gone. So uh, the first of the plays, uh, the August Wilson plays that Denzel got involved in was the, uh, uh, was called Fences. Uh, That was with him and Viola Davis. Uh, He, he directed and was the lead actor in that play. And then after that, he he produced uh, the film version of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and that was starring uh, Viola Davis again as Ma Rainey, the blues singer back in the twenties uh, and thirties, mm-hmm. and Chadwick Boseman, the late Chad, Chadwick Boseman, uh, who was the king of Wakanda, who also recently passed. Uh, uh, he was the co-star in that one. Uh, so now this was the third play uh, in that uh, ten play series uh, that uh, Denzel was involved in producing, and uh, this is it, you know I just spoke to Malcolm Washington, the director, about a week or two ago, and he was saying that he's very proud of what we were able to achieve in making the film, and uh, they're still in post production now editing and doing all the post-production work on the film. So the film will probably be out sometime late next year in uh, 2024. That's the plan for it is right now. Okay. Uh, Could you, for those who don't know, uh, give a little bit more background on August Wilson? Uh, Well, it's interesting. August Wilson is really a fascinating uh, playwright and artist. uh, he, 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 a lot of his lived experience was 
were in the uh, what was called the Hill District of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But what's interesting in our, our little Minnesota connection is that all 10 of his plays, you know, as far as I'm aware, were pretty much written, you know, in St. Paul. And then our, our own Penumbra Theater Company, run by Lou Bellamy, founded by Lou Bellamy back in the 70s, mm-hmm. he, he pretty much, uh, you know, was credited as discovering August because he, he put his plays up, you know, I know as early as the early 1980s. And, uh, and those were the first, that was the first American theater company to uh, showcase August Wilson's work and august what august did was he, he wanted to have uh, this lasting kind of testament of of chronicling all 10 decades of the 1900s so 1900 had a play 1910 1920 and so forth you know 1920 1930 being the uh, ma rainey's black bottom a story about the legendary blues singer um and uh, and you know the 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way through 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 the 90s, each decade, all 10 decades, had a play dedicated to a story from that that time period. So it's a real, you know, it's a it's an incredible uh, theatrical legacy, uh, you know, and and it's got it's, you know that great Minnesota uh, connection and those roots here in St. Paul, where the plays were written. And put up for the first time about uh, August's uh, personal, you know, life journey. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Lou Bellamy. He is a prestigious um, African American alumnus. Unlike you and I, we're just alumnus. But he's he's a presti- <laughs> he's a prestigious. Well, you're pretty you're pretty prestigious <laughs> in, in, you know, as far oh, as I'm no. aware. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, he is a prestigious. You, you, you and Lou share that distinction. No, I am not honored in the uh, what they called the uh, walk of scholars on campus. Lou, <laughs> Lou is so, but he's a prestigious uh, alumnus of the University of Minnesota, where Van and I first met and uh, became roommates at one point. So. Um, what other things did you you had a big movie you had um i want to dance with somebody you were you were involved in that project correct i was and just before uh, just before that project or just right after that project uh and i'll talk about that project but uh in between those two projects i also uh, did one season of uh, the series the shy that we filmed down in chicago and then right before, right after that, uh, I, I worked on uh, this, the new series, Genius. It's called Genius Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. It's uh, kind of the telling of uh, Malcolm's story and Martin's uh, story from the time they're, they're young children, all the way through their respective demises uh, you know, in the 60s. And that was a real fascinating uh project to work on because uh very early uh just as i was getting started in my career i had the opportunity to work as a production assistant on on the denzel washington 
Spike Lee version of Malcolm X. Uh, so this was, you know, now th about 30 years later, uh, being the assistant director on, you know, covering similar material, but also now looking at, you know, Martin Luther King's life. So we, 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 it's an eight episode series, uh, that will start airing either later this year or sometime next year. I'm guessing, uh, just after the, you know, the new year. Uh, but look for that on, uh, on, on, this, you know, Netflix or it might be, uh, you know, uh, Disney plus, I guess. So, and what uh, but I wanted to answer somebody a very, very, uh, uh, you know, incredible experience. Just had so much fun making that film, mm -hmm. um, which was uh, directed by Casey Lemons. Uh, she was first, uh, you know, really, you know, she started her career as a, as an actress back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, she, if, you know, for any of the f real film buffs out there that, remember the movie school days you know spikes uh homage to his uh years at morehouse uh in atlanta um uh casey played uh spikes character uh his girlfriend in that and uh and then you know she might even be better remembered as jody foster's best friend in silence of the lambs as an actress oh you know yeah, after, and after she did that, she 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 wrote the screenplay for a wonderful coming of age story, "Ease by You," uh, starring Journey Smollett, Megan Good, Sam Jackson. Um, you know, it was really an all-star cast: Di Diane Carroll and uh, um, Lynn uh, Lynn. Uh, oh. Slip of memory. Uh, she played uh, she played uh, Josephine Baker in the in the uh, in the movie version too. So they just had an incredible cast. But but Casey Lemons, the director of of uh, Eve's Bayou, she then went on to direct uh, the movie Harriet, the Harriet Tubman story. She directed uh, Talk to Me with Don Cheadle. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then this, uh, this film was, uh, the first experience that I had an opportunity to work with her on. Uh, and, uh, that was, I wanted to answer somebody Whitney Houston story. I saw the, uh, the infamous or famous interview of Kevin Hart with, uh, Don Cheadle, where he, uh, Don Cheadle said his age and Kevin went, damn. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, in that interview, Don Cheadle, uh, said something I had never heard before. He said that he used to come here and act in the mixed blood theater in town. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, uh, amazing actors who've, who've done a lot of work here in the Twin Cities because of the the national reputation that the, the Twin Cities film com or theater community has had, you know, in addition to Don Cheadle, uh, um, oh, uh, well, we already mentioned, um, um, 
there's so many. Let me think. Uh, who else? Uh, uh, Angela Bassett, her husband Courtney Vance, both have done work here uh, locally. Uh, Viola Davis, uh, that was the name I was trying to think of just a minute ago. Viola Davis had done a lot of work here. Um, the sister who was a star in The Walking Dead, she also played uh, Tupac's mother in uh, All Eyes on Me. She studied at uh, at McAllister, I think it was, it was in McAllister or Augsburg. And while she was there, she wrote several plays. One of the plays was just uh, put up at the uh, Guthrie Theater here locally. But uh, you know, there's an incredibly strong and and respected uh, theater community here. Here with you know places like you mentioned Lou Bellamy's the the uh, Penumbra, mm-hmm. which now was which now is he's kind of handed off uh, the creative control of that now to his daughter Sarah Bellamy. She's been in charge of it for the last couple of of seasons. The Mixed Blood Theater that you mentioned, the Pillsbury Theater in South Minneapolis, just a few blocks from George Floyd Square. Uh, these are all incredible you know, theater companies, you know, obviously we get the big touring shows at the Orpheum and State Theater. Uh, Jagged Little Pill is there right now. Hamilton's been there twice. Um, so, you, ha- you know, you have this, you know, this amazing asset, this amazing, amazing creative uh, uh, resource here. And so a lot of people have come through, even at the Guthrie, I remember seeing back in the 80s, I'm not sure if you went with us at that time, uh, John, uh, to see a soldier's story. Uh, and that was the play that got turned into the movie, a soldier's, or it was a soldier's play that became the movie, a soldier's story. But the Guthrie had put that up back then in the uh, mid to late eighties. And, uh, you know, it was an incredible, you know, artistic achievement. So it's the, the, you know, the, that, that is not a a single, you know, solitary experience uh, that Don Cheadle had here. You know, a lot of a lot of amazing actors have come through there through here. Well, this it's uh, for flyover country, as a lot of people would call it. It's very good, very well known for its arts, uh, you know, theater, um, comedy, music. Mm-hmm. And for a while, there was uh, this was a hot spot for movies being made. Well, and don't forget the music scene here. Yeah, you know, the sound. Oh, you did say music. Okay, yeah, I missed it. yeah, absolutely. Right. And but, for and for and for movies, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. If you look back, you know, with the Mighty Duck series and the Grumpy Old Men series. Uh, the Schwarzenegger, Sinbad movie, Jingle All the Way. Um, you know, the Coen brothers did, you know, one of their movies here, A Simple Man. Um, uh, you know, yeah, there, there had been a, a real, you know, foundation of uh, filmmaking here for uh, a good part of the you know, late 1980s and the 1990s. And then it kind of tapered off in the 2000s and it sort of disappeared for a while. Uh, and one of the things that you referenced earlier, uh, you know, in bringing those projects here, uh, a big part of the 
a big thing that really helped was that Minnesota at that time had an incentive uh, program called the uh, snow bait. And that was money that was put up by the uh, state uh, legislature to, to make Minnesota competitive with other places like Georgia, uh, New Orleans, New Mexico, uh, all of which have uh, film incentives uh, to try to bring film production here to the state of Minnesota. And I can I can let some of your listeners know uh, that just in this last legis- legislative session, uh, the film board, the Minnesota Film and TV Board, which I'm one of the co-chairs of, um, and you sort of hinted at that earlier, that yeah. position, um, we were very successful in the last uh, session uh, that ended in May uh, in increasing the amount of money that we can offer uh, productions. Uh, uh, a, you know, we have a, a pool of about $25 million uh, this year and also next year. And that money uh, comes in the form of a tax credit so that uh, shows that might be interested in coming here, uh, they can qualify for getting a tax credit uh, for 25% of whatever they spend. Uh, you know, and we have a obviously we have a cap on it, $25 million. That, that's but that's like uh, you know $100 million in production work. So if right. you have, you know. Uh, you know, that that pool should help make us competitive in bringing movies and, and t- at least one TV series uh, back to Minnesota and have it produced here and have the jobs that are created, you know, uh, you know, qualify for, for that. So it's it, we're really excited. You know, it's a really uh, kind of exciting time right now. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background here in uh in minnesota it's not just in the twin cities but it's really throughout the state of minnesota up in duluth they've got um they've they've got some resources that they can even add to that 25 percent if films are shot up in duluth same thing that goes up on the uh, iron range so it's really a, a truly a statewide effort to try to bring more production work uh here to the state and the jobs that come with it. You know, you know, most people, you know, when they go to a movie, they see that long list of credits at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of those are the actors, you know, some may come from the local area, some come from, you know, wherever they, they're, they're, you know, they, they live or whatever, wherever they work. But the, the most of those, 90%, 95% of the people in those credits are, are, craftspeople you know they're the electricians they're the grips which are sort of the the engineers of uh, that that help uh, set up the equipment and the technicians the stagehands if you will uh that work on set the props people the art department folks the people that you know go out and find the set dressing so if there's a living room set you know and and uh the production designer has a certain, you know, idea of how, what should be in that uh, living room. You know, all of those things have to be located. Those those set dressing items, uh, they've you know they've got to be you know put on a truck. They've got to be you know you know loaded into the set. 
And uh, those are jobs. Those are really, uh, you know, well-paying jobs. And we want to bring more of those jobs here to Minnesota. And uh, and uh, we want to build up our, you know, our crew base so that we can do, you know, more than one show at a time and uh, really make sure, you know, we can create some great economic activity through doing that. Well, and that last, that last uh, movie boom here, yours truly got a chance to play a coach in Mighty Ducks 2. And, ah, uh, <laughs> see? For team, for I, team I Trinidad. Told you, team I Trinidad. told you you were a, a, a star, a, a, <laughs> no. a, a luminary in you, the film world. <laughs> you, you have to slow the movie down <laughs> And look very quickly, even with it slowed down to see me. Uh, my stepson, my stepson Marvin, played a uh, body. He was a body double for one of the actors, and also he was a team member on Team Trinidad. So uh, I remember the craziness of all of that. And, and here, here's a crazy story. So as uh they were filming stuff up on the ice sheet they had the uh kids down below them basically they paid me for child care that day so hey <laughs> did, the, did the check clear yes the che- <laughs> yes the 80 and i still have the stuff my 88 dollar right. check cleared were in that same amount of time marvin made 300 and something dollars so yeah hey <laughs> you know and, you know, that, that illustrates, you know, you know, the opportunities that come with, you know, when a film or a TV series uh, comes to town to, to set up shop, because what happens is before they ever any cam, you know, they ever roll the cameras, you know, there's about six months that take, that take place where they're just looking for the locations where they're going to film at. Uh, looking for the props, the set dressing, the camera gear, the grip electric equipment, the caterers, the barbers, you know, because a lot of times, you know, the barbers are, are, you know, brought locally, you know, you work with local barbers, you know, that, you know, take care of the uh, cast and make sure that the cast's hair matches. Because if you shoot a film over, you know, a 10 week period, for example, or a TV series over six a six month period, you know the hair has to match. Oh yeah, you know so every you know every every week at least you know the actor has to make sure that their hair matches from week to week and from scene to scene. So all that all those are jobs that are available to people, and you do those jobs for you know uh, and you know what's great is those can lead to. You know, you know, you start out usually as a production assistant in a various in one of the various departments that you might want to get into, whether that's the camera department, whether it's the assistant directors, you know, department, which is where I started, uh, whether it's props, whether it's you know hair and makeup, you know, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, uh, she's a property manager, and I said, you know, you know, if we can get this industry going hot here again you know that's a great opportunity to become you know assistant location manager the the locations department is the department that you know where you know based on what's in the screenplay you know someone that has experience with you know the local locations 
they go out, they find the locations, they they make the deal with the owners of the locations. They work with the local police departments to make sure there's traffic control. Uh, the fire department make sure you know the crew is working safely. Um, you know we have we have a friend I keep telling him, you know that uh, you know we're going to need fire safety officers, we're going to need set medics, and these are great paying jobs. You know that uh, you don't need a college degree for. You know it's a real it's a blue collar job. But it's a union job. You get union benefits. You get, you know, retirement. You know, money that goes into your pension. Your pension at the end of your career. And this, this is why it's such a exciting industry. And it's not just, you know, some movie comes to town and then, you know, it's gone and, you know, and doesn't have any lasting impact. You know, this is going to draw people that have have lived in Minnesota, that have got had to go off and work in other parts of the country because the work wasn't here mm-hmm. and it's going to bring we hope it's going to bring those people back and it's going to really help us build this industry and workforce that we're going to need if we can get uh, you know a serious amount of uh production work back here again well if you ever shoot a sports movie remember that i used to take care of uh athletic equipment so absolutely <laughs> I, I could never forget that yeah and you know we, we did a couple of smaller films here uh, yeah, I'm not sure if people saw the first one we did. It didn't get much of a distribution. It was called The Inheritance. We shot that mostly in Stillwater. It was about a black family, young, you know, young twenty-something-year-olds and thirty-something-year-olds. They come back to Minnesota for uh, for a winter uh, kind of reunion with their family members, their older family members, and uh, and that that movie started starred Golden Brooks and. D.B. Woodside, Golden used to be always, you know, she was one of the main characters on, um, what was it, uh, si- uh, what was the show, uh, Sisters? No, uh, I'll think of it. Uh, and D.B. Woodside was on 24. He played the president's uh, brother, I guess, and he became the president after the other president I don't know, got assassinated or whatever. But yeah, you know, we had a we had a good we had a good young cast and everyone did a great job. We set up in Stillwater, shot you know shot the film there, and then we came back here because of the success of that. We came back to Minnesota again, and we did the you know a lot of people don't realize we we did the movie Dear White People, which became the series Dear mm-hmm. White People, but we did the movie version of that film right here and. Uh, we shot over in Loring Park. We shot over at the U. We shot over on Summit Avenue in St. Paul. And uh, but that whole movie was filmed right here in, in Minnesota. And uh, the only reason we didn't get the series is at that time we didn't have an incentive, you know, that we could uh, compete it with the other uh, states that had those at the time. So right. Uh, you mentioned a project in between. I want to dance with somebody in the August Wilson stuff. It was, mm-hmm. what was, was the that name the guy or was that the uh, genius series? What was that again? Uh, we did, the, I did the shy. I did the season five of the shy down in Chicago. Uh, that's like a community drama on Showtime, really popular show. How do you and, spell that by the way? 
C H I, short for Chicago. Oh, the shy. Okay. Yeah, the shy. Yeah, it's like Shy McBride, the actor. He's mm-hmm. from Chicago, and he loves the city so much. You know, that's how he he took the nickname Shy McBride. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, uh, when are you gonna write? The homage to our college days. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know that we could get, you know, uh, it'd have to be an R-rated, uh, uh, you know, series or show. I think you could do that. Um, well, uh, you know, Animal House, so, so, An- yeah, Animal House, House, House yeah. hadn't been updated yet, so. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah, we got we got the gambling, we got the drinking. We got... <laughs> yeah, no, that was, those days were just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, that's what college is supposed to be about. You know, you're, you know, you're young and you're, you know, that was right. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but that was, you know, that was right when fantasy football started. You know, yes, we had our own it's the only. Only oh, time I've played it, by the way. <laughs> well, you, you have more wisdom than me, I think. <laughs> well, tell you what turned me off. And it's a lot different back then than it is now. But back then it was, you know, you. it was based off of touchdowns and throwing touchdowns and running touchdowns and uh, yep. extra points and your defense getting points and whatever. But I would, I think I finished second over half the season, and then finished second to last somehow overall. <laughs> I still can't figure out for so for that reason, I do not play fantasy football. Well, you know, you go, you have your week to week stats, but then you know when you get down to the final, the end of the uh, the season, then you go into if your team is lucky enough to make the playoffs, you know, then you're going head to head. So you know, it, it's a little tricky because you're using stats from professional teams and sometimes those professional teams have their, 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 their own playoffs locked up. So they start resting their stars. And if you're relying on their stars on your fantasy team in a week where the, you know, they're, they're resting or they only play them one quarter or something. Yeah. That's, that's how that can happen pretty easily. You know, it's yeah. a little bit of a flaw in the system, but you know, it kind of evens out. Uh, speaking of fantasy, what the world is going on in the world of fantasy, mainly Hollywood and movie making and whatnot? Are you on strike yourself, or what's no, the story? No, we're we're there are two industry strikes that are going on right now. The first one is the writers guild strike. Uh, the writers have their own, you know, labor union, basically called a guild. Uh, and they, they've been on strike now since really May, um, which means there are no, no TV shows, no, uh, feature films, uh, that require new writing to take place. Uh, if they if it's a writer's guild signatory show, uh, so all of that professional writing for TV series and TV shows and films, you know, future films, all of that has stopped right now. And uh, just, I think it was uh, 
I think today, after about a hundred days, the writers just went back, just begin negotiating with the producers again. Uh, but they've been sort of at a impasse for the last hundred days and they haven't had any meetings and only this week they're, they're just going back right now to try to you know resolve the issues that are you know between the writers and the producers and the producers are the people that really run the big studios and the big streaming services they all have negotiators every three years they have a contract that comes due same thing with the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA. Um, uh, they represent the actors. Um, so the actors also, after the writers went on strike, they also made the decision to uh, go on strike for better working conditions. And and uh, they have a slate of issues that they're trying to uh, get, uh, you know, uh, improvements on for their for their members so yeah. it's uh you know it's so far it's you know it's it's pretty much shut down all of the new the, what when in the in usually in september that's when all the new tv series mm-hmm. uh, come out you know with new episodes so your chicago fire or chicago mad the rookie what whatever your the weekly abc nbc cbs uh, regular series, CSI series, all that stuff. All those new shows for the new season, they go into production, which means that uh, the crews begin filming those shows uh, in early July. So that would have been last month. So right after the 4th of July, most of those shows go back into what's called production. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're out there on location filming the shows on their sound stages, you know, shooting the scenes there, uh, et cetera. And so that by the time the fall season starts, which is usually the second or third week of September when the new shows start airing, uh, they've already got four, five, six of those episodes already, uh, already done. They've been shot. They've finished the editing. They've done all the post-production. They've done the music, and and so the episodes are already ready to go on to the air. Uh, and because of the strikes, all of that's been shut down now. So even if the strike were to end tomorrow, the earliest you would even, you know, the audiences would even see new shows on the air. You know, they wouldn't be airing until probably late November, early December, instead of, you know, the regular time, like in September or so. So it's, it's definitely going to have a major impact on people's viewing and what's going to be available, you know. Yeah, it's been, from what I can see and read, it's been pretty contentious and sometimes ugly between, <laughs> between the producers and the uh, people who are on strike. So it's been very contentious and, and, you know, the industry has changed so much. The television film industries have changed so much in the last, you know, decade. And, you know, now, you know, where, whereas the old shows, you know, um, that would be on every week, the CSIs and the, you know, shows like that, you know, they, you know, just 10 years ago, 
you know, that was the, you know, the real workhorse of the industry for the television uh, season. Um, it was, you know, they would do 22 episodes of those shows. Uh, they would, sh- they would film them and produce them between July, like I said, July, and they would finish, uh, working on those shows and getting those shows together in ma- the following March. So that season was from July to March and those final episodes would air in April and May. And then, then, then the show would go on hiatus while the writers in May started writing the new shows for the following season, which again, when it started in July, well, those 22 shows, you know, those orders for those 22 shows usually had, you know, 15 writers in the writer's room. They had head writers and they had, you know, uh, you know, lower level writers. And, you know, they had this whole team of people writing and working on those shows and those, and that ran six, eight months, or you know, ten months, whatever the the writing schedule was. Now, what's happened is, you know, especially when net the Netflixes, the Hulu's, the Primes, uh, you know, all these new new delivery uh, entities got involved. Well, well, they they decided, well, we're going to do a series, but it's only going to have an eight episode or a 10 episode season. We're not going to do a 22 episode season. That's going to be, you know, exactly on the same calendar as, as the big networks. You know, we think we have a different model. We think our model can be successful. We can program stuff, you know, when the reruns are, are airing in, in May, June, July, August, September, you know, we can kind of, kind of counter program those. But we all, we're only going to put the money up to do eight to ten episodes instead of twenty-two episodes. This is all television on the television side for the writers. Now think about that: if all of a sudden you go from twenty-two, twenty-four episodes a season, and you need fifteen writers to, to create those shows, and uh, now you're going to cut that by at least in half, or in some cases a third if it's an eight-episode series, you know, a season for some of those shows. It's re- it really starts to threaten the the labor force, the writers, so they're really nervous, uh, and that and they 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 feel like they're facing an existential threat to their to their existence, you know, and because now instead of fifteen writers, you might have five writers, yeah, four writers, <clears throat> a head writer, a showrunner, uh, so they're really, you know. Uh, nervous about the future of whether they're going to have jobs or not. So that's one of the things they're fighting for. Uh, artificial intelligence also, you know, you measured some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there, there, there are now, you know, computer programs where you can kind of feed in, you know, some basic plot, plot lines and, you know, and, you know, have the computer create a couple of twists in the storyline. And it can spit out a you know a, a script, but you know it's like you know it was like when music uh, started being sampled, you know it, the sample, you know was you're 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 taking something that was previously done and trying to create something brand new from what was already done. All right, the first few samples were pretty good, 
But when you start sampling, you know, getting samples of samples of samples, this becomes really a watered down version and it's never as good as the original version of the original song that you sampled. So, you know, but so how does that affect the writers? Well, you know, they're they're afraid that if you, you just have these shorter seasons and then you're also gonna use this artificial intelligent, you know, kind of uh you know, technology, that's another way to reduce the number of required writers. And and what they fear is that they're gonna get down to, you know, they'll have a they'll have a series that'll have maybe three or four writers using artificial, you know, intelligence, you know, technology. And, you know, so when you, now you've gone from 15 to 20 writers on a series down to four or five, it's just, you know, that's 15, you know, that's, you know, 11 writers or 10, 11 writers that are not going to be having an opportunity to, to work anymore. So uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the age old question of, you know, when you have these techno mm -hmm. technological breakthroughs, you know, it, it creates a lot of disturbances in the, you know, in the, the economic kind of underpinnings of the industry. And that's that's why they're on strike right now for the most part, those issues. Are actors uh, fearing being, uh, I guess, replaced by AI? Yeah, some are. Absolutely, because you know, the technology is so advanced already that you can take, you know, a, you know, you can, you can take, you can videotape an image of an actor and, you know, completely change the image of that actor. I don't know if you remember the, uh, you know, the Michael Jackson song, uh, Black and White. Mm -hmm. I'm not black. Right. You know, and they had all those people, those different actors morphing. You know, they used different actors that would then morph into the next one and the next one and the next one. Right. Well, well now the technology is, you know, those were, you know, you had 20, you know, you had 20 models or whatever. And those were very individual, different people. Now there's technology that you can take one, if you just had one or two of those people, you can take their image and change it you know, uh, you know, through various video programs and technology and you don't even, you know, you don't even need that many actors anymore. So that, you know, that's a, that's a big threat, you know, now that can also be used, you know, creatively, you know, I don't know if you saw the movie, the Irishman, the Martin Scorsese movie with Robert De Niro, where you had, yeah, you had all these guys that were old, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they used some, you know, video technology, artificial intelligence to de-age them to make them look, you know, 20 years younger. So, you know, that was a case where it was kind of, there was a good creative use for the technology. And, uh, you know, but I think uh, some actors are really concerned about that. The other concern, too, is, you know, on the actor side is that, you know, uh, it affects people's, you know, uh, benefits. Like they've negotiated the, these deals where, you know, they get, 
you know, the, the actors the, and the directors, they share in, in a, um, and the writers, the writers, the actors, and the directors share in a pool of money. Uh, and they're paid, you know, like a weekly salary to do their work. But then when their material airs for, you know, after it airs a second time and it goes into the reruns, and then if it gets sold into like a syndication where it's like on, you know, like TBS might run, you know, Real Husbands of Hollywood, you know, as, you know, just every episode one after another, you know, you get a, what's called a residual payment, uh, you know, for those extra episodes. So you're not just paid for the one time right? because obviously the network is making money every time they put that on some other platform. So that's been negotiated in the past and it's agreed that, okay, you're going to, if, you know, the first, basically you get, you know, you get the first airing and you're paid for that. And then you get the first rerun and and you get, you get a little chunk of money for that. And then, then it kind of diminishes over time, you know, for everything else. Well, what was never intended was now with these streaming services, the Netflix, the you know Hulu, all these uh, new services that you can pay for separately. Uh, those agreements, you know, aren't really compensating the people who created the material uh, properly or sufficiently enough if they're going to be running these things all over the world any time of day, any time of night, you've got, you know, video on demand, you know, and, uh, and no one's agreed, uh, agreed on how we're going to pay for those people that created the content. So that's a, all of those issues have fed into the kind of the chaos of, of what's going on right now with the writer's strike and the actor's strike. It's just all this technology and all these new systems, are kind of colliding and mm-hmm. uh, create these, uh, these these problems and challenges for the industry and for the people who create the you know create the artistic content. Well, it's going to be a uh, boring and thin fall <laughs> season. Uh, well, the fall will probably be okay. It's really going to be, I think, next year when you'll really start feeling the the lack of you know, new content, mm-hmm. you know, especially if this thing drags on much, much longer. The other thing that's going to happen too, for a lot of people who hadn't been working that much leading up to, into the strikes, you know, it's tough. You know, people are, you know, they've got mortgage payments, they've got kids in private schools, they've got, you know, bills to pay just like everyone else, you know, and, you know, some of the studio, uh, you know, heads, you know, that, that, you know, aren't as sympathetic to either the actors or the writers, you know, they see this as an opportunity maybe to really, you know, kind of crush, you know, crush those, uh, those, those contracts that they'd agreed to in the past. So it's, yeah, it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be still at least, uh, you know, a little while before this all gets resolved, you know, hopefully it, it can get resolved though. Well, I'm, sooner I, than later. I remember doing COVID, uh, production had gotten 
halted or slowed down. Um, and then what new stuff could come to market really got slowed down. And that's why we wound up with shows like the Tiger King and all those other things exactly. being, being, yep. being yep. big shows because there was nothing else to watch, watch then. So, um, yeah. And the last time there was a big, you know, writer's strike, uh, slow down back you know, 20 years ago, you know, that's when we got a lot of this reality mm -hmm. uh, TV that you're referencing. Yeah. And there were game shows and right. there were, cause those didn't require, you know, you know, big writing contracts and, and none of those start starting the actors. They were, you know, people spinning the big wheel mm -hmm. and they were phoning friends and, <laughs> you know, right. doing all these kind of, you know, kind of, wild things but but again people get tired of that same repetitious stuff you know right and and they want good acting and they want good writing and they want to be surprised and they want to be you know uh they want to laugh they want to get scared and that and the, the people that produce it you know are just you know they, they want to make a living you know practicing their craft and, and uh making a fair a fair living so well Oddly enough, as you well know, I lately I've been on this bender about college sports and the big business of it and this that and the other. But TV pays a or pays and plays a part of that because for a while there, uh, network TVs, the linear side of it, had walked basically walked away from it, and now they're coming back to it and. You know, you look at a conference like the Big Ten where there is um, – they have contracts with Fox, NBC, and CBS. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's like, holy crap. And, you know, whereas, you know, you got one half of the ledger talking about going straight streaming, including ESPN. But then you have, like I said, these other three entities who are getting back into the – and I hate to use the pun, but the game – our games and are going to really start stock up inventory and all of these things. So I think this whole mess of what's going on now also plays a part of the networks going, well, at least they can't take this away from us. Yeah. You think about it, you know, why does, you know, NBC want the Olympics? Why does NBC or ABC or CBS, why do they want, the Super Bowl. Why do they? They want those big events because they attract the most audience members. And the more audience members, the more eyeballs that you can get to watch your programming, the more advertising dollars your network can demand. You know, in exchange for that, because because at the end of the day, for television, you know, they're selling soap, they're selling toothpaste, they're selling dog food. You know, and the people that are willing to pay for that, to have those audience numbers, uh, you know, the more the more eyeballs they can get on those shows, uh, the higher higher they have to pay. So, you know, you look at something like, the, like you said, the Big Ten. In the Big Ten, I remember, was 10, there was 10 teams in the Big Ten. <laughs> there, there's now, if, if Washington and Oregon are now going to come in, in addition to USC and UCLA, I think that's 18 teams. Yeah, yeah. It's, eight, it's 18 teams. 
you know, <laughs> we already had it in Nebraska and we had it in Maryland. You know, now it's it's no longer a regional no. uh, rivalry. It's now a national rivalry. So you can have Maryland playing UCLA on the Big Ten Network very soon. Right. You know, where is the tradition in that, you know? <laughs> Uh, uh, and, tradition. and the SEC is the same thing. Right. You know, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna. Uh, I don't know what's gonna happen. I, I guess the pack, you know, the pack ten is gonna. No, the pack uh, twelve is the, now uh, pack four <laughs> and its own life support. So because two of the four remaining doesn't want anything, basically wants nothing, anything else to do with what's left. But they can't find a place to go, and the other two are trying to. <laughs> Possibly yep. merge with the uh, Mountain West and keep the name. <laughs> well, well, think about that. The, and all of this stuff is driven because, you know, hey, I, I love the Big Ten Network. I, you know, when I didn't live in Minnesota, I could I could watch, yep. you know, University of Minnesota football, basketball. You know, when Tubby's team was on the, the court, I was watching that stuff in California, and I loved it. I loved being able to do that because I, you know, I couldn't be home, but I could be, you know, part of the sky, sky, you nation, you know, uh, and watch from afar. So, you know, and then obviously the ACC got their own network, the SEC got its own network. And each time those, those conferences got their own network, that meant more, money for the big 10 more money for the big 10 schools more money for the sec schools anyone that had that network now had another revenue stream that they had money flowing into those programs so it's uh you know it's it's yeah i don't know it might get worse before it gets better i don't know i will tell my listeners go back to my last five (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> five last five podcasts and you will get in detail on what and also my next one after this one you will get a lot of in detail stuff on why this happened and what's going to happen next and um who dropped the ball on what and those things let's get back to your world of uh filmmaking and what so is our fi- films being made at this time no uh except for very small films that don't have uh deals with the major studios and the major uh, streaming services they've they've been some very small films have been able to receive waivers uh from the screen actors guild uh to let sag actors work on these small little films but uh you know, they're not being made in big numbers. It's just, you know, a drip, drip, drip kind of thing. So that's going to put a lot of those uh, studios behind in production, correct? They're all they're all going to be behind in production because, again, it, July, especially for television, July, the first week of July, right after the 4th of July, that's when everyone started going back into production on their regular series. Uh, episodic production schedule so that they'd have, you know, four or five episodes already completed by the time the new season usually start rolling out in September. You know, I think, you know, it's interesting right now. 
you know, I think, you know, your listeners haven't seen what they would normally see in August at this time of the year. Usually they'd be promoting the, the new episodes of the new shows, the, the new seasons, you know, the, Hey, who's, who's joining this season, the show this season, who's getting married or what's going to happen on the, you know, SWAT this, you know, Right. And none of that. You don't have any of those ads running right now because there's nothing to promote because the shows will not be ready. They cannot be ready to start airing in September. Even if the, the strikes ended right now, you know, it takes time to get the scripts ready. It takes time to, you know, hire the crew back, you know, to build the sets. All that stuff has to be done. And uh, before any of the cameras can roll, and then once the cameras roll, and you've you've captured the performances, then they have to be edited. They have to do all the the music work. They have to do all the, you know, voiceover stuff. Everything that makes a finished episode, all that work has to be done. And they're they're now already, you know, eight eight to ten weeks behind that schedule. So everything is basically on 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 hold right now. I was also getting to movies being behind films being behind in production, you know, cause you they know. are, uh, there's a little bit longer lead time for them because, you know, you know, they could make the movies all the way up until really the actors went out on strike and which was, you know, right at the beginning of June. Um, so, you know, they're going to be delayed somewhat, but there's probably enough in the pipeline already so people won't really notice until I'd say next spring. So that the, you know, this year, the big summer hits were the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer, you know, those movies would have gone into production in the fall and then they'd be ready for a release in April, May. Those are next. And that's when the pinch, I think people will feel because they won't have those new, the yeah. next Marvel series uh, movie, right? That, you know, because the, they won't be ready. Well, and you just got people back into movie theaters, and now, mm-hmm. <laughs> now this is going on. So, no, it's a great irony. It really yeah. is, and it's it's pretty pretty sad, actually. And it's also also I think kind of cynical on the producer creators side of it. You know. He, at the end of the day, there's going to be an agreement with the writers. It's going to be an agreement with the actors and, and no one side is going to get everything that they wanted and no one side is going to get nothing that they didn't want. So, you know, there's going to be some kind of deal where they, the minds meet so, somewhere in the middle, which is what always happens. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come up with a consensus and that, and then the strikes will end, you know, the question really is how much pain is going to have to be inflicted before that happens. And, and some pain afterwards. I mean, I'm, I'm in a union on campus here at the university of Minnesota Mm -hmm. and we went through, we were literally had taken a strike vote, uh, had left work on Friday. The strike was supposed to start Saturday and we got a, agreement finally from the university for more than a, you know one year a three-year contract which they were six months late on so right so basically <laughs> it was a two and a half year contract yeah and now 
you know, and there was there was pay uh, very good pay raises because they hadn't done it in like five years. Mm-hmm. But now the, the university's response is now to attack the the more senior and more older workers because now we cost too much. So there's yeah, because you've got seniority and you've you've been there so long that you know you've gotten a pay raise over the number of years. You know, but that, that, but all of that, I would say, has been agreed to by both sides. Right. You know, we have a deal. Let's not renege on the deal. If you agree to a, a contract, <laughs> yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta pay the piper. You know. Well, they're not reneging on it. They're just finding ways to make life miserable for everybody in general. But the well, older they hope people the older workers in specific, will get fed up in the right. Taste, you know, screw it. I'm not gonna. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll retire. You know, retire, that's what right? That's and that's what they want because they want to be able to fill that position with somebody they'll pay a lot Have less to. to, right? Yeah. And um, so, uh, to finish this, you got anything coming that we should be looking for, or anything new you want to talk about? We'll keep an eye out for the uh, Genius series. That that should be out, I think, by the end of the year or early next year. Okay. That, and that's by uh, um, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer's company, uh, Imagine is the name of their company. Uh, and they've done three other, uh, you know, portraits uh, under the same Genius banner. There was Genius uh, Albert Einstein, Genius uh, Picasso, Genius Aretha. Uh, so we're the next one in line. Ours is genius MLK slash X. Uh, so Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. And that's an eight episode series. that will start airing, like I said, either at the end of the year or next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be pretty exciting. We got some amazing young actors playing, you know, the major roles in it, really strong performances. Uh, it was a lot of fun to work on that series. Uh, and that our showrunners, our, our producers on that one, uh, Brian Grazer, Ron Howard, it was their company. So it was under their umbrella, but it was Gina Prince Bythewood and her husband, Reggie Rock Bythewood. Gina Prince Bythewood did Love and Basketball. Uh, she also did the King, uh, um, African African Queen. Uh, what was what was the what was the one with uh, Viola Davis uh, where she's the fighter in Africa? Uh, I'm forgetting oh, the name of the movie. Yeah, I I can't recall the name. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. So they were they were they were our direct producers on the show. So yeah, the, the series is going to be amazing. So keep an eye out for for the Genius uh, series and for the piano lesson for sure. Okay. Well, Van, as usual, I want to thank you for your time uh, and also for your friendship over the years. Um, but this uh, this will, um, I think people will enjoy this interview and, and the information that you've uh, laid out. Well, it's my pleasure, John. Anytime I enjoy doing it. And uh, and I appreciate your friendship over all these years also. Absolutely. So, again, uh, this has been filmmaker Van Hayden. And I'll come back and tie things up here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Thanks, John.
When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. In a world filled with distractions, one law firm stands tall, fighting for justice. Bradshaw and Bryant. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. We take our mission very seriously. Our firm is dedicated to representing those who have suffered due to the fault of others, especially when they're distracted by their phones. Four seconds. That's all it takes to travel the length of a football field. But those same four seconds can change lives forever. Don't be the person who causes irreversible damage to others or yourself. Put your phone down when you're behind the wheel and be aware of your surroundings. Bradshaw and Bryant have championed the rights of the injured for over three decades. We excel at what we do. Bradshaw and Bryant is ready to fight for you. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. And we're back. And that was Survivor by Destiny Child. Folks, first song in the episode was Hollywood Squares by no other than Bootsy Collins. Uh, you guess the music still had a theme today. Like I said, Hollywood Squares and Survivor, which is a TV show, but also what the people in Hollywood are doing right now. They're just trying to survive just like the rest of us. Well, again, I want to thank Van for coming on. You know, he was, like I said, he was a college friend and roommate. You know, known Van for close to 30 years. Um, also want to thank Mike Bryant, my title sponsor of Bradshaw and Bryant, the uh, personal injury law firm, and also Link's, Link's Art. Our other college roommate who has a business making, uh, producing T-shirts, caps, hats, uh, jackets, jerseys, bowling shirts, whatever you, whatever you need, whatever you desire, that's the man, L-I-N-K-Z-Arts.com. And also... Some weird guy again, jbsgloverepair.com. I I don't know if he actually does anything for me or this show, but he's always in my ear. So with that, tell a friend, hit the like button, follow me if you don't, if you're not a follower. Uh, it is for all us podcast people. It is uh, what is called um, followers subscription which mines are free uh drive period help as <laughs> as they would say in the movies can you help a brother out and uh again just hit the like button follow <clears throat> also don't forget comments and questions 
the mailbag has been good for me lately. Speaking of mailbag, here's a question from Marty, who's actually, he's from St. Louis, but he's traveling the country, and he has been since he's retired. And this was a question on what's going on in college sports. With the uh, Big Ten Conference will not be a, a literate academic representation of 18 participants, meaning that there's um, 18 schools and the name is the Big Ten. So will college educated conference official change the name to fit the number of participants? Marty, the, the answer is no. <laughs> They're going to keep the name Big Ten because it is what they are branded by, and they will do not want to start rebranding a conference. The Big 12 will keep the Big 12 name. They said they may change their logo, but then the Big 10 may change their logo. They've changed logos, but they do not change names. Here's a uh, kind of a qu question statement from a college friend. Chuck Mertzbacher was... Uh, on the tennis team at the University of Minnesota when I was there. Hey, JB, is this a free app? Can't wait to listen. Mertz. Yeah, it's a free app. And as I stated earlier, all you got to do is click the link. I don't charge anything. And then, you know, subscribe or follow and uh, just keep hitting that like button. Here's another comment from... Joel, and I won't say his last name, but he lives in Minneapolis. Crazy world. Love your passion and insight on the college stuff. Now, this man would, all I will say, and like I said, I won't say his last name, but this man for sure would know a lot about what's going on in the world of college sports. And I learned a lot from him. That's all I'll say. And the last one. Vincent, Texas. JB, love you, brother. We'll tune in soon. Hope all is well. Vince is a former crotchety old former equipment manager, baseball guy just like me down at, down at the University of Texas. Hook em horns, Vince. With that, close another interview and another podcast here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name and up, motherfuckers, is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African American. Black, black, black. Django. J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.